Welcome to the Performer Power Up Podcast, where I empower you to take control of your life, improve your well-being, and simply flourish, all while being in the performing arts industry, which, let's be real, is one of the most physically, mentally, and emotionally taxing careers out there. I'm Meg, certified health and life coach, professional actor-singer-dancer, and your host. Join me on my quest to open the conversation on all things wellness within the performing arts industry. It's time to ditch the dreaded starving artist mentality and finally embrace the thriving artist identity. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Performer Power Up podcast. I'm Meg, and I am here with Will Centurion, all the way from Australia. So welcome, Will. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and I can't wait to jump into this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Um, Will is a mental health professional specializing in um, performing arts professionals. So um, an aspect of theater that is often not talked about, um, theater, dance, whatever Mm -hmm. aspect of the performing arts you're in. But yeah, Will is passionate about providing members of the creative industries the skills to build on their confidence and well-being um, and has worked for over 20 years as a musical theater performer himself and now works as a mental health coach developing specialty workshops and doing private coaching as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. Um, so I would love for you to just start with a little introduction to yourself and how you got to where you are, um, and what your journey has looked like up to now. Okay. Uh, so I've been working in the mental health sector for four years now. So it's been a, an, a, an amazing journey transitioning from being a performing artist into a therapist. Prior to that, I was in music theater for 20 years. So I worked abroad for about seven or eight. I was based in Europe. Um, and then I came back to Australia and I had, um, yeah, sort of a long running career here, uh, 20 years all up, had a wonderful time in the industry. Um, both it was rewarding and challenging, uh, got to do so many dream shows. Um, I basically hopped from sort of musical to musical and after 20 years kind of arrived at a point where the effort reward was no longer in balance. Um, had a lot of issues with performance anxiety, a lot of issues with depression, a lot of issues with um, imposter syndrome, and um, decided that it was time to go and see a mental health practitioner. They opened my eyes to all these other hats that I didn't know were available to me, one of them being potentially a counsellor or coach for uh, entertainers. And that was the beginning of my journey. I started with a diploma, I loved it so much that I moved on to the bachelor. Um, so four years of education and then basically took my last bow um, during In the Heights at the Sydney Opera House. And uh, probably a couple of days after, sent out a, a message on Facebook, reintroducing myself to the industry as a mental health coach. And the rest is history. That's so awesome. I love that you... Um come from a background in performing as well. Cause I think it's really important mm-hmm. for anyone that's looking to help performers to have been there. You know, it's such a yeah. unique <laughs> field. 
Um, that's hard to understand if you're not in it. You know, it's hard to understand that yeah. mentality. We are definitely a unique breed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thousand percent. Um, yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you got into the mental health aspect of things after needing it yourself and needing yeah to reach out for that help as well. Yeah. It got pretty dark for me. The last three years in the industry were extremely challenging. Um, I think a lot of things were happening. I was kind of outgrowing ensemble. I was outgrowing, um, you know, the, the eight show a week challenge. I was outgrowing being away from family and friends. Um, you know, the novelty slowly started to wear off. And um, as a result of that, I felt really disconnected to support. I felt disconnected to... Um, you know, structure, stability, security, um, you know, family, purpose, so many things. And I fell into a huge slump. Um, I was lucky enough to reach out uh, to be able to go and see a psychologist who was also an opera singer. And that for me was just such an epiphany that you could do both. Um, yeah. And so that's what started my journey. I went like, I want to be you. I want to yeah. do what you do. Um, and so one of our sessions, we explored what courses I could take, um, what kind of study I could do. And I realized that seven years of psychology was not going to work for me at all. <laughs> um, so I settled on uh, doing a, a diploma of counseling, which was a year. And then I loved it so much that I transferred into the bachelor course. And um, I have not looked back. It's just been the most amazing journey. And Truly, I think the lived experience that I have of being in the arts has supported a lot of the work that I do and, and the reason why I can connect with clients so deeply. Yeah, 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 it's, uh, it's got to be an interesting experience too. And I mean, like, I think most professionals in the arts have experienced it at some point of feeling like, oh, I'm in this slump. And I think mm -hmm. it's especially hard in the arts because it's your entire world yeah so like when that happens it's like your entire identity is That's crumbling it. to the ground and everything is falling apart and it's like I think most performers as opposed to other careers but also I'm not entirely mm -hmm. sure because I'm not in another career so I don't really know but mm -hmm. you have to think that performers are just that is you like that is your entire identity that is your entire being so when you yeah. start to question that start to not feel passionate about that it can mm -hmm. impede on everything it's i think it's it's really interesting for some reason our creativity and our identity are fused so tightly um and having moved into a different sort of workforce you don't feel it as much like i understand that mental health and and myself are, are separate to each other my mental health work and myself whereas in this artistic world, we're just, we're so connected to our performances, our choices, you know, the work we put out there. And of course, it just feels every, any criticism, any, any deconstruction, any feedback feels so personal and so cussing at times. And it's because of this, this fusion that we have. Um, it's actually not healthy, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, I'm, it's a lot of the work that I do is helping people separate the, the professional from the person. 
And, um, you know, there's a lot of work that we can need to continue to do in that area because once you do that, um, you find a lot more inner peace. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And I, I sort of wonder if it comes a little bit from our training or because, you know, that's the whole you are your product yep. mentality, you know, like you are what you're selling, yeah. essentially. It's it's hard to differentiate. So how do you go about in, you know, your counseling and things like that? How do you go about starting to differentiate between, you know, your professional artistic self and you as a human being? Yeah. Um, well, we do need to deconstruct some of these narratives that we're taught. And you're right. I think a lot of that has to do with the training orthodoxes that we go through. Um, if you love dancing, singing, acting, it is all you will do. It is all you will immerse yourself in. You need to be considered um, committed to this 110%. Otherwise, you will never make it or you don't care about it enough. And so I think those sorts of narratives, the longer we are in those environments, the, you know, the more it supports us fusing our creativity and our identity together. Um, what I do in a lot of the therapeutic work is, is ask individuals to step back, to just um, take a step back and defuse themselves um, from the storytelling and from the, the delivery and from the choices and from the costumes and from the, you know, the, um, the, the scene work and the sets and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's, you're a vessel. This is what you are. Um, and you connect to that creativity momentarily, but at no point are you kind of anchored by it. And so when you're able to defuse and create some space between you and your work, not only do you improve, um, but you also recover a lot better. Um, so I think the first step is deconstructing these narratives around what success is and around what commitment is. Um, and the second is understanding that if you can step away from your work and come back to it, you are far more proficient and far more focused than if you live in it and eat it and breathe it 24-7. So with, with creators, it's getting them to see the benefit of taking a break and de-rolling, taking the performer hat off, um, getting them to see the benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely shifted a bit over the last bunch of years too. Like, I think for a very long time, it was like method acting was like, that mm -hmm. was the most dedicated way to be an actor, you know? And it was like, oh, mm -hmm. if you eat, sleep, breathe it, like you are the best actor possible. But yeah, there is yeah. so much to, mm, you might actually be better. You might be a better actor, yeah. a better singer, a better dancer, if you are able to also take care of yourself. Yeah because you yeah. are that vessel yeah and and nourish the human and nourish the person and nourish the individual um so that you can come back and fully immerse yourself and commit and just go at it 110 percent um you know you're right in saying that the mindset is changing and i think a lot of that has to do with um you know we can diversify so much more than we used to be able to I think it was one career for life and one identity for life. And now it's like, you know what? You can be an actor and a graphic designer and a DJ and I don't know, a dog walker and, you know, whatever, a mental health coach. You can do all of those things. Um, we have the capacity for it. So this idea that it's kind of one identity, one career for life, um, one output, 
uh, I think it's limiting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the other most common mental health issues that you see in the arts other than, you know, this sort of baseline fusing, but what are some of the other issues Mm -hmm. that you see spurring from that? Yeah. So obviously a lot of performance anxiety, um, putting yourself out there in front of an audience, making yourself vulnerable, opening yourself up to criticism, you know, that, that has a huge impact on a person's esteem and on a person's worth. Um, self-sabotage is a huge one. We love to, you know, fill the gap with stories that don't support our productivity. We love to create limiting beliefs. Um, we love to shoot ourselves in the foot before we've even given ourselves a chance. Um, what else? Uh, grief and loss, big one. You know, when you miss out on a contract, when you miss out on an audition, when you've gone all the way through, jumped through all the hoops, feel as though, you know, this is, this is the moment. And then unfortunately that doesn't come to fruition. There's, we experience a lot of grief and loss around careers that have been lost or jobs that have been lost or opportunities that have been lost. Um, body image issues, comparison, imposter syndrome, you know, I don't deserve to be here. I shouldn't be here. I'm a fraud. I don't have what it takes. They're so much better than me. Um, You know, they're more fitting for um, success than I am. Just the list goes on. Honestly, I think the longer I'm kind of, you know, um, in the observer seat, the more I learn um, just around how much the creative mind likes to, um, interrupt itself or impact itself or, um, yeah, hurt itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense too, when you say all those different, um, you know, things that come off of being a performer, all of these issues that we have, how tied all of that is to the fusion of our art to ourselves. You know, like Mm -hmm. with the criticism, like, of course, we're going to take it personally. If you are Mm -hmm. your art, like, and someone's criticizing like this choice that you made or this performance that you did, like, of course, you're going to take that personally. And then how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the rejection of you? It's like way more personal than anything else would be. Yeah. Yeah. And and to top that off, there's also this element of um, unresolved issues or unresolved um, um, experiences, you know, we never get feedback in an audition or very rarely. So you don't know why you didn't get the job. You did your best work in the room. You put everything out on the line and for some reason, you know, it didn't happen. And so we start to think of ourselves as not being good enough or never going to get there or not having what it takes. Um, there's, there's such an element of that is kind of damaging to us as creatives because we fill the gaps with things that aren't necessarily self-endorsing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely um, developed too with all of this virtual auditioning as well, Mm -hmm. um, where it's like, it's even more removed. It's even more just like, oh, I didn't even like, I don't even know if they saw it. Like, I don't know if they even watched it, you know, like- And then like that adds a whole other layer, but yeah, I think it's interesting too, because we're kind of taught to not care about being rejected. You know, it's like, oh, well, like whatever, like just become numb to it. Don't care about it. Like, and it's almost like you're not allowed to feel sad about it. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very much that mentality of like, fuck it up and get on with it. This is how the industry is. This is what you should be used to. Uh, this is what you signed up for. And yeah, fair enough. You know, there are elements of that that are true, but we are also, and we do also hurt. And, um, you know, it, it's little, little, um, little whips, you know, every now and then um, add up to a lot of whipping. And so, you know, I think we've got to give ourselves the space to feel and give ourselves the space to grieve, give ourselves the space to, to accept um, this roller coaster of an, of, of an emotional um, ride. But we're not taught that when we're not given the skills to be able to do that. So um, a lot of us are maladaptive in the way that we cope. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're just taught to have a thick skin and mm -hmm. yeah, like suck it up. Like you said. So what are yeah. some of the other ways that we can go about, um, you know, going through those grieving processes and feeling that criticism and moving through it in a different way. That's not just brushing it off and dismissing it. Yeah. See, as soon as you said that uh, immediately, what comes up for me is there is such a value in journaling. Mm. People underplay it. Um, when I finished an audition, you know, and, and I know a lot of people can relate to this. All you want to do is talk to someone about it. All you want to do is kind of ask all these questions of like, what did I do wrong? You know, how come I got cut? Um, I thought I did a good job. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, I, I'm that person's still there and that person's still there. And I see myself as their caliber and why am I not? And so there's so much conversation that needs to happen, that wants to happen um, after a challenging situation. And we don't ever get to unpack that. So, you know, taking some ownership of, of those stories and, you know, sort of dumping them in a journal, um, have giving yourself that moment to just kind of like sit with it and reflect and unpack um, can be really, really helpful. I know it sounds so naff, <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's just such a power in it. You know, whenever you've done a dance class that didn't go well, you know, tell that story. Whenever you sang a song and, and you cracked, put that down somewhere. Whenever you did an audition and you got cut, same kind of thing. Whenever you wake up in the morning and, and you've got an audition to go to, you know, write out some sort of positive affirmations or some, some goals or be clear of your why. Um, there's such a power in writing. And I think we undervalue that as a, as a therapeutic tool and as a support for us living this creative life. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love the spin on that because I, you know, in my training have even heard of keep an audition journal, but it's always from a place of, mm -hmm like keep an audition journal so you can write down like what went wrong, what went right, and then learn from it. Mm. And instead mm. of a, just like, no, just put it out there. Just like get it out of, like process it through writing rather than, cause that's why I've always resisted doing it. You know, I've yeah. always resisted the idea of an audition journal cause it feels like a chore. It feels like, oh, well, let me like write down like what I can do better next time. And that just yeah. feels like self-critiquing again. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's almost turned into like a task or an assessment or something like that. And right. I think it just needs to be, it's got to have a sense of flow about it. Um, I do it all the time. I do it um, in the mornings when I wake up. Um, I do it when I'm on a plane. That is the best time when everyone's on flight. 
I just grab my phone and my notes and, and I, I just let it go. I let myself unpack what's gone on during the day or something that's really gotten to me or something that's unnerved me. And, you know, it, it is that it's not um, so much uh, a duty. It's more so a release. Mm. Yeah. I also do love that you said like your notes in your phone. Cause I think that's another thing yeah. is like, it can feel exhausting. Like, let me get my pen and paper, but I have notes yeah. on everything. Like if you look in my notes, my notes is my entire life. <laughs> and yeah, if I've learned like one thing about organizing things, yeah. Like notes is just as valid as uh, yeah. an actual journal. So, I mean, we're yeah. creative. So be creative in your process of, of journaling your stories. Like do them as voice memos. Um, take a photo on your phone of, of the audition that you just left or, or whatever it was and kind of reflect on that. Um, you know, we're just, we're, we're allowed to use our creativity as a source of, of nourishment and, and a source of um, support. Uh, it's not just about performance. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, are there any other like main aspects of performing that you think leads to all of these self-criticism sort of um, issues that come out of performing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're about to open the floodgates here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think there's a lot that happens in performing arts training institutions mm. that creates emotional trauma for students. Um, I think there's a lot that can be improved in teachers' um, orthodoxes, just teachers sort of teaching methods um, in their communication skills. I sit with um, a lot of emerging professionals. You know, the majority of the people that I work with are young emerging professionals. And time and time again, I hear stories of, you know, how their identity was deconstructed, how their choices were deconstructed, how their unique strengths were deconstructed and, you know, they're being shaped and molded to fit in a box. Um, and I think that does a lot of damage to young people um, to be shut down, to be shut up, to not be seen, to not be heard. And I think you carry that, you carry that into the industry um, because you don't process that trauma, you don't process, um, you know, those uh, damaging experiences and they end up compounding. And then before you know it, you explode. Yeah. Yeah. And I do wonder too, because a lot of institutions, you know, they come from, they have a lot of professors or teachers and mentors and things like that, that are you know, sort of an older generation of uh, mm -hmm. theater artists. So it can be kind of hard to then like progress and move forward when we're almost like, you know, what, 20, 40 years back in our yeah. institutions. You know, I felt that a lot in my college was that like a lot of these instructors hadn't worked in a long time and that's not their fault. Like they're yeah. still great instructors, but it's a yeah. different mentality when yeah. you're living in it now. And I think the key for all of us, for everyone in the industry, whether you be a performer or a practitioner, a teacher or whatnot, um, is learning. Mm. We have to be open to learning. 
Um, you know, there's such a wisdom that comes with lived experience. There's such a wisdom that comes with that older generation who have been yeah. in the arts for as long as they have and have seen things and have done things that we can only kind of dream about. Um, we don't want to kind of minimize those powers or those strengths at all, but in order to keep the industry moving forward, we need to learn about what happens next. Right. We need to learn about some new approaches and, and how the, the industry is evolving and what we can make room for and what we can allow that we maybe didn't allow before. And so I think it's everyone's responsibility to continue to learn, um, both as actors, singers, dancers, but also as teachers and educators. Like, keep your professional development up. It's really important that you do because that's how we move together. Yeah. And that's how we kind of bridge the gap rather than us and them, rather than old and new. Um, you know, let's let's be kind of unified in the way that we practice. And that yeah. only comes from being open to learning things you don't know. Yeah. And learning together things that we don't know. And learning too. together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like it like the not separating it so much as because that's how it can feel sometimes. You know, it can feel like you know, different generations can feel like separated in their experiences or like, oh, well, they have this experience. So they are, you know, higher more than whatever and us all learning mm -hmm. together and uh, taking from each other what we can. Yeah. And it is changing and we want it to change. We want the industry to reinvent itself. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a beauty in some of those kind of traditional historic pieces, but there's also a beauty um, in some of these more modern works. And so we want to adapt. We are creative. There's, there's nothing about us that should kind of remain with a fixed mindset. Our mm. whole industry is about growth. So I think we just have to kind of embrace it all and see the value in all of it and, um, you know, make room for diversity, make room for posit um, body positivity, you know, um, all of that, you know, introduce more, um, you yeah, people who have, you know, who are neurodiverse and who have disabilities and whatnot, like make room for those stories to be told and those stories to be seen um, and for their methods to be different. I think if we did that, we would, um, our message would get across a lot more and we would be able to really enjoy um, and sit, sit with this leaving, living, breathing, ever-evolving thing that we call art. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what art is. You know, art is mm -hmm. the, all the nooks and crannies of humanity <laughs> and yeah. all of the little uniqueness blending together into one big story, which is beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, um, things that you hear about, like, oh, I'm struggling, like, take care of yourself, reminder to, you know, self-care this, and that's, like, the sort mm -hmm. of buzzword, trendy word. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. in your opinion, what does, quote-unquote, self-care mean, or how can you take yeah. that and actually incorporate it into something that works for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, there are some buzzwords out there at the moment, like self-care and resilience, and connectedness yeah. and it's like okay well what, what are you talking about let's let's be a little bit more detailed um so basically self-care is like any kind of activity any action um that helps you feed or nourish your emotional physical spiritual needs 
Um, you know, they're, they're, they're practices that basically improve your mood, help decrease anxiety, um, help you prepare for situations, help you to re recover from situations. Um, there's, there's so much involved in self-care that we kind of don't talk about. Like, you know, we might say our oh, self-care is getting a massage or self-care is I'm reading a book or self-care is doing 10 minutes of meditation. And, but it's more than that. Um, you know, we need to look at the different areas of our lives, like there's financial self-care, there's mental self-care, there's um, emotional self-care, creative self-care, social self-care, physical self-care. Um, you know, it's, it's this ongoing practice. Um, so, of course, you know, the aim is for us to create things, rituals um, that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis so that we can stay well, no matter what the challenge or threat. Um, that we may face. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any things I know you had mentioned journaling? Are there any more, um, any other things that you find are really helpful, particularly for performers in terms of yeah. self-care, in terms of emotional things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's funny because we're, we're, we're hitting the winter months here in Australia. So um, June, July, August, and it's around about this time where that sign of seasonal disorder kicks in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we get a lot of fatigue, a lot of burnout. It's cold, it's gray, it's rainy. <clears throat> the last thing you want to do is eight shows a week. Um, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. Um, and, and I think there are times where, where that's important where to, to catch up on rest, to get rest, to slow down, um, you know, to, to surrender to that. Um, but we also have to keep ourselves motivated. And so I think one of the most important things is our morning practice. You have to have a solid self-care morning practice. It's really, really important that you do because it's the setup for the rest of your day. Um, so creating uh, an empowered morning ritual is really important. Um, being consistent with what time you wake up, being consistent with the conversations that you have with yourself when you wake up in the morning. Like generally, we might start with like, oh, I can't be bothered, or oh, I don't want to do that, or oh, I've got so much. And like, that's the relationship that you're setting up with yourself, and that's the relationship that you're setting up with your day and with the world. So we kind of need to be aware of that. Like, of course, that doesn't motivate you getting up and getting at it. Um, so, you know, some, some soothing self-talk in the morning is really important, like, you know, when you first wake up, um, just little things like lighting a candle, putting on some music that, that, um, you know, helps you feel vibrant, um, getting some fresh oxygen or some sunlight on your face, if that's available to you, um, a little bit of refle reflective practice for writing out your goals, um, enjoying a nice breakfast a nice cup of coffee or tea or lemon water or whatever that might be like that morning routine is really really important really really special and it all begins the night before <laughs> mm -hmm. so if you're anything <laughs> if you're anything like me and I am not a morning person um, I have to create commitment devices so I've got to pack my bag I've got to lay out my coffee cup I've got to lay out my journal I've got to lay out the clothes that I want to wear to the gym or to yoga or for a run or whatever that might be. Um, I've got to have everything ready. Um, the bottle of water, the lunch preps, um, 
you know, the dinner maybe, um, I've got to have all of that ready the night before so that I can wake up the next morning and just flow. Um, because otherwise, if there's any interruption, I get stuck. Yeah. And I, I get derailed and the whole thing, you know, goes belly up. So a good morning self-care practice starts with your preparation the night before. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah. When I, um, so I have a, uh, a performer based coaching program. It's a health and wellness program. Um, wow. Okay. but, um, yeah, so we go through a bunch of different aspects of, you know, eating, nutrition, exercise, mm-hmm. things like that. But, um, yeah, we touched on routines and I always say we got to get the night routine down first before we go to the morning mm-hmm. routine. Cause yeah, it's yep. like impossible. It's like impossible to do your morning routine. If your night routine is yeah. all out of whack. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, why can't I, people start with like, Oh, I want to wake up earlier, but it's like, are you going to bed earlier? <laughs> are you doing yeah. Yeah, those exactly. sorts of How things first? Setting yourself up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, just little, little changes, like not pressing snooze a hundred times. Yeah. Um, you know, or not not spending the first 15 minutes of the day, you know, like scrolling your feed or whatever that is. Like, uh, you know, I, when I set goals, when I help people set goals, it always has to be small and it always has to be achievable. There's no point in setting goals you cannot sustain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it defeats the whole purpose. So creating behavioral change might begin by five minutes less on your phone. It might begin by getting to bed 10 minutes earlier than you usually do. It might begin by switching tech off and putting the phone in the other room, um, setting up your room with some nice lighting and, and you know, getting the bed warm, um, having a bath before you go to bed, um, you know, in the morning, like I said, just not, not lingering so much, um, being more affirming with your talk so that you get up and you get active um, it's little changes that make a big difference and you know no one can meditate for 20 minutes first time so start with 10 breaths um, you know once you've you're, you're comfortable with that then move to a five minute meditation then move to a 10 minute meditation and eventually you will get there you will get to those sort of bigger objectives um, but you've got to keep it simple and you've got to keep it small because otherwise um, if, if the challenge is too big why bother yeah yeah and it gets overwhelming too it gets yeah like even like maybe you do it for a day or two and then it's just like oh my gosh my entire life is going to be like this I can't do this for the rest of my life and then like it spirals (laughs) yeah yeah Um, I can't do this I can't sustain this so I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna do it anymore and then you just throw in the towel yeah or you skip like one day because you don't want to do it Mm -hmm. and then suddenly (laughs) you're completely off the bandwagon forever and yeah. yeah consistency is important too um generally like you know if i'm working with a client and we kind of decide on some new goals and whatnot i like to set a five-day challenge mm. um and the aim is to kind of be consistent for the next five days if this is truly something that you want to do and if you're committed to it um then you will give yourself the five-day challenge of, of, of just trying to sustain that improvement for the next five days because more often than not when they do they can carry it across. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Cause it's so hard when you're trying to make a new habit and it's, yeah, it's like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? And then that feels really overwhelming, but mm-hmm. five days doesn't, you know, five days yeah. you can do probably anything for five days. Um, 
yeah, I like, I like that idea of just starting with five days and mm-hmm. yeah. And then that seems achievable. So why not do the next five days and then the next That's five it. Days. That's it. That's the mindset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are there anything in particular or are there anything else rather um, in particular that you would suggest for self-care practices other than the morning and night routine and things like that? Yeah. Um, so we've spoken about journaling. We've spoken about the morning routine. Um, I think de-rolling is really important too as a self-care practice. So spending time trying to know who you are outside of the creative you know, mm. what are your other interests? What are your other hobbies? Um, who are the people that you like to catch up with and see and exchange with that aren't industry related? Uh, I think the more that we kind of, kind of get to know ourselves outside of practicing a dancer, um, the more our life is in harmony and our life is in balance. Um, so, you know, ma- make an effort to create some social connection that just that doesn't necessarily involve seeing a show or hanging out with a theatre crowd or, um, you know, taking a class, uh, you know, just create some activities that nourishes the human being. Um, That's a really, really important self-care practice. And self-compassion, that's a really important self-care practice too. We don't do enough of that. Um, Mm. It's okay to be upset. Um, you know, if a job didn't work out, it's okay to be frustrated if you feel that you were deserving of the opportunity and it didn't come to fruition. Um, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel confused. I think, you know, being self-compassionate is really important because there's a lot of, I shouldn't feel like this, or I'm not allowed to feel like this. And so I think making room for some of that vulnerability is really important in terms of your self-care yeah 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 and it's hard because i i think even as humans we just want to push off emotions sometimes Mm -hmm. and then as performers it's a whole other level of not feeling like it's valid to feel all those things yeah and also that it might be overwhelming too you know like how many times are you really declined a job versus getting the job and you know how do we manage feeling like that yeah you know I'm allowed to feel confused I'm allowed to feel worried I'm allowed to feel upset I'm allowed to feel sad I'm allowed to feel angry um all of that is is really important to make room for I think another thing is also just addressing that we get fatigued to our careers Mm -hmm. we get fatigued to our creative identity um you know particularly if you've been dancing, singing, or acting since you were three, um, it's only natural that by the time you hit 18 or 21, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore, or I'm tired. You know, this doesn't carry the same sense of joy for me as it used to. I think it's important to let ourselves go through that. Um, You know, same when you're kind of um, had, you know, an ongoing, um, you know, experience of rejections you're allowed to press pause and go is this what I want to do you know do I really want to commit to this journey same sort of thing if you're halfway through your career same sort of thing if you're at the end of your career I think we're allowed to press pause we're allowed to stop we're allowed to just go I'm not sure I want to be friends with you anymore (laughs) (laughs) we're allowed to have that moment 
um, I think it's really important that we do because then you get to assess if you want to repair the rupture. Then you get to assess if you want to rehold your creativity's hand. Um, but you can only do that if we take those moments where we consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like you said too, that's why it's so important to have that de-rolling as you put it of other mm -hmm. aspects of your life, you know, cause then it, it would prevent that feeling of overwhelm of like, oh my gosh, this is my only thing. And then that identity crisis of, okay, well, what if I wanted to take a break for a month, two months, whatever, like mm -hmm. what else do I even have in my life? Yeah. Yeah. So finding yeah. that identity outside of it which I think is interesting because it's almost you're told not to in a lot yeah. of training like you're told like yeah. oh if there's anything else that you like to do in life then go do that <laughs> and yeah, only if this absolutely. is like 100% all that you want to do in your entire lifetime then do the arts which yeah. isn't really productive for a human it's not healthy <laughs> That's the, I think no. that's the biggest thing. We're talking about mental health and emotional health here. And so that kind of immersion is not healthy. Um, you know, it's, it's too consuming. And so, you know, it kind of, maybe, that, <clears throat> maybe that's the way it was done. Maybe that worked for some people, but it doesn't have to work for everyone. It doesn't have to be everyone's go-to process. So I think it's about discovering what works for you and what keeps you harmonious and what keeps you in balance. And sometimes stepping away, taking a break, pressing pause is important. And if, you know, you want to, I don't know, not, not um, semi-retire, but if you kind of want to step away from this rat race for a few months or a few years, you're allowed to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No one says you're not. Uh, and there should be something, there should be some kind of adventure um, or some curiosity about coming back and starting a new race, starting a new marathon and seeing how that goes and, you know, what strengths you can bring to that kind of challenge rather than it being the most terrifying thing that you could confront. Um, you know, I think the more that we kind of reinvent the why and the more that we reinvent the arena, um, the more curiosity and sense of adventure that we can bring to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like you said, it really is about the marathon. I like that you called it a marathon because mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it is a marathon. It's not, and you know, a sprint is full on 100%, but a marathon is knowing when to pull back, knowing when like, Oh, I have 10 more miles. Let me pull back a little yep. bit let me you know squeeze a sugar gel in my mouth or whatever it is that's <laughs> a weird analogy that's it, that's but, it. yeah um but yeah knowing when to pull back and when to push forward knowing that um you know the race the races are in in context and the races yeah. are in segments um mm -hmm. there's no athlete that continues to go around the field um you know non-stop 24 7 so, yeah. you know, we've got to kind of see ourselves in the same light and, you know, keep everything in segments and keep everything in context and keep everything in blocks as opposed to this one ongoing sushi train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So all that being said, what are some signs that it might be time to get help from an outside professional, that it might be time to, um, you know, step away, get some professional help and reassess things? Yeah. Uh, I definitely think indicators are things like fatigue, burnout, overwhelm, um, you know, heightened stress, heightened anxiety, um, hopelessness, um, depressive feelings, uh, futility, uh, you know, they're all kind of indications that we're out of sync or that something's out of whack. Um, Disconnection. Think of it that, that way, you know, um, being disconnected to confidence is a time to ask for some help. Being disconnected to purpose is a time to ask for some help. Being disconnected to um, motivation is a time to ask for some help. So, you know, we, we've got to be a little bit more self-aware. We've got to listen to our kind of um, emotional guidance system, our internal emotional guidance system. Um, you can tell when you are stuck. You can tell when you are in a loop. So if that's the case, then it's a call to action to seek some support. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all very, very true. And yeah, I think when like you cross that mind or that thought crosses your mind of, oh, I might, this might be time. Like it probably is you know, of, oh, I might need some help. Like I'm feeling a little bit hopeless, feeling a little bit stuck. Like, you know, when you're stuck and when that thought comes in, knowing that it's okay to get some help. And uh, I think that is something that we're progressing as really, really well as a society is it's okay. (laughs) And we all need some help. I always say that like, probably everyone would benefit from some therapy at some point in their lives. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the biggest misconception, and that's why there is such a stigma around, um, you know, seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist or counselor or whatnot, is that it's, it's a place that you go when you are damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it can be, but it doesn't just need to be about that. Um, I think the therapeutic space is also where you build strength. It's also where you go for clarity. Um, it's also where you go for co-regulation. That's a big one. Um, we live our lives self-regulated, or at least we try to. And the therapeutic space is where you can tap into some co-regulation. So that means that, you know, you've got someone there to help you. You've got someone there to encourage you along and to give you some, some um, you know, strategies or skills that might be useful so that you don't have to go it alone. Um, we are becoming more emotionally intelligent. Um, you know, I work with, dance studios that have um you know little littlies there we're talking from like i don't know maybe like 9 12 that kind of age group 14 16 they are so emotionally intelligent the conversations that i have with those kids around mental health flows far easier and is far more kind of um, in depth than sometimes speaking to groups of 18-year-olds or 21-year-olds or 30-year-olds because Hmm. there's such a hesitancy in those older groups, whereas in those younger ones, they're like, you know, let's talk about our feelings. Talking about feelings is a good thing, Uh, Hmm. you know, so 
we're getting there. I think the next generation is carrying, carrying a lot more openness and I hope it continues to move in that direction. We are definitely becoming a lot more emotionally intelligent. So listen to those instincts and go get some support, not just for crisis management, but for early intervention as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear that. That's so amazing too. Just that like little kids like, that. you know, it's, oh. and I think it started like, I'm fairly young and I think it kind of started, mm-hmm. like, I remember things moving it. Like I remember things moving in that direction as I was growing older, but um, yeah. yeah, it's gotta be interesting to like grow up now in this generation and not have to like have that moment of things shifting and that's just always yep. being how it is like yeah let's just always yep. talk about our feelings and why not why would that be shameful yep. like that's it's so amazing and it's so they're cool so wise yeah yeah they're so wise i i get schooled by like six six-year-olds and nine-year-olds all the time um <laughs> i remember i was doing a self-care workshop and i was asking them what is the most important self-care proactive or reactive self-care that comes before or self-care that comes after and in my mind proactive was the most important one and you know I kind of had a bit of a bias and I had a bit of an agenda that I was trying to push there and I think like some six-year-old girl put her hand up and she just said um both they're both as important as each other they're both important and I was like okay wow four years of university and I literally just got educated by a a six-year-old who was like, it's not that reactive is bad and it's not that proactive is better. They're both as important. <laughs> like, oh my fair God. enough. <laughs> <laughs> and That's there goes incredible. my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six-year-old yeah. stepping in, <laughs> taking over. Stepping up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think that is like we were talking about earlier too, it just like all learning from each other and uh, mm-hmm. not having that age bias but you know there are things that the younger generation can teach the older and vice versa yeah. and all we're all in it together so yeah absolutely yeah. so that being said of we're all in it together what are some things that you know we as fellow artists can do to create better spaces for other artists you know what needs to change mm-hmm on an individual level you know I feel like sometimes it can feel so oh the industry is doing this we need to say be the yes man um but what are some things that we can do as artists in the industry to make better spaces and make that change yeah I think we need to create a little bit more camaraderie to be honest with you um Mm. just the simple act of checking in with each other is really really important we do turn a blind eye to struggle we do turn a blind eye to vulnerability it is uncomfortable in a dressing room it is uncomfortable um, when a fellow performer on stage is out of thoughts but to ignore that and to not kind of validate that or to not check in I think is really destructive um, I remember being in a dressing room and this was in me in my last year of my second last year actually of um, um, study being in a dressing room where a new father, so um, his baby had just been born, um, he maxed out his leave days, he was at work on Father's Day, um, all he wanted to do was be at home with his baby um, and with his wife, and instead uh, he was called into work, 
Um, he was told that there was no opportunity for him to take an extra day of leave because everyone was needed. Um, you know, all the swings were busy, all the understudies were occupied. And so he had to be there. And upon arriving at work, he discovered that all the swings were off. All the understudies were off. They were actually all in the green room watching movies during the show. And he kind of sat with this heaviness of like, this seems unjust that I was called in. Um, I feel really guilty about the fact that I'm not with my child. And, and I'm angry that I'm in a situation that I can't change. And as the day went on, he became more and more emotionally reactive. And it ended up erupting in a, a kind of... Um, you know, all out argument in the dressing room. And then that person disappeared into the toilets and I heard them break down. I heard them burst into tears and I get emotional. And so he's even coming up for me now that not a single person in that dressing room had the courage to go and check in on him. Mm. And, and I just, I was so upset and I was so disgusted at the fact that we are meant to be a team and we are meant to be an ensemble and we are meant to be a herd. And not a single one of them had the courage to go and ask their brother, you know, are you okay? Is there anything that I can do? In fact, they all turned around and looked to me um, and kind of said, oh, you know, like Will, I think, you know, you might need to check in on him. And I remember um, getting riled up myself and turning around to them and I'm obviously not going to use the words that I used but they were quite expletive um, <laughs> but I said like you know how dare you um, that we've been working together for six plus months now and not a single one of you has the courage to go into that dressing room uh, to go into that bathroom and ask him if he's okay like yeah. sure I'll do it and and of course I went in there and he hugged me and he just burst into tears and that's what he needed. Um, and then once he kind of surfed that wave, he came out, he apologized to the person that he had the argument with, and we kind of, we could all get on with it. Um, but really we do need to promote amongst ourselves this idea and this philosophy of checking in with each other when you notice that something is not, not okay or not right. Yeah. Yeah, taking care of each other. and. Yeah, separating too, like I think sometimes it can get really toxic in the way of, you know, we are all competing for jobs. So it can sort of mm -hmm. create this diversity or um, this uh, divisiveness rather between us. But yep. Yep. good word. Know, like there's, there's so much to be learned from each other. And at the end of the mm -hmm. day, you know, like whoever gets the job, it has so much more to do with a million other factors than, oh, well, I need to be mad at this person because they got the job and yeah, yeah. You know, really cheering each other on and yeah, being there for each other. Yeah. Camaraderie, you know, I just think um, it's so important that we carry ourselves as a herd and we carry ourselves as a, as a community. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, you've got you've to do the actions, not just talk the talk. Um, you know, it, it means stepping outside of your comfort zone and, and, and asking someone, are you okay? You know, is there anything that we can do? Um, you know, do you want to talk about anything? Can I get someone for you? Can I get some help for you? Um, just those little things make such a big difference to the overall well-being of a, of a company. Um, 
so yeah and you know that whole philosophy of like someone happy someone's happiness takes away from my own I mean come on like yeah. we really do need <laughs> to get past that like you know anything that is truly meant for you will not pass you by how about that how about accepting <laughs> that as the truth um and yeah you know it's like so they got the gig you didn't there will be plenty more opportunities and the whole point of this is growth and evolution and um stepping up to the challenge so stay in your own lane don't worry about anybody else's lane focus on yours and um you know try to grow and do your best work and set those goals and get to where you want to get to patiently yeah Stay in your own lane. Make sure there's no potholes there first before you. <laughs> well, that's it. That's Swear it. to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think that's a great note to wrap up on of the camaraderie mm-hmm. and being there for each other and all of that good stuff that will in turn make all of this easier <laughs> for everyone. Yep. More so, tolerable at the very least yeah yeah and and this is supposed to be fun at the end of the day you know art's supposed to be fun and joyful and uh, moving people and all of those emotional things so we got to take care of each other along the way for sure awesome well thank you so much for coming on here um i think that everything we talked about is so important for the industry and even everyone outside of the industry but especially everyone in this wackadoodle career. So yeah, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, For everyone listening, I will leave all of Will's links and all of his things down in the show notes so you can keep in contact Mm -hmm. with him um, and reach out if you're needing any support um, and needing any support from anyone, even if it's, you know, your friend or... Yeah. your mentor whatever making sure that we can all reach out for support um so yeah thank you so much will and thank you so much everyone that's listening um and tune back in next week for another episode thank you awesome. so much this was so amazing thank you so much all right guys have a great rest of your week and we'll talk soon